News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. Well, it's one thing to have politicians and voters be woke, but it's another thing to have it taught in our schools. And it's an even other thing to have the CEOs of some of the largest global corporations deciding to make the cause of the woke their own. And they joined the fray. They did it uh, in England first when they launched GB News in the United Kingdom. No sooner did they put a new independent news network together than the sections of big business all joined together and boycotted it. That's right. Pulled their ads from it. Companies like Ikea, Octopus Energy, Money Supermarket, Vodafone. You get my drift. It's the same thing here stateside. A lot of us old-fashioned conservatives were surprised at the willingness of capitalist firms to take a side against, well, news-gathering agencies. A lot of people suggested that what is at work is actually a case of woke-washing. That is, just an opportunistic public relations exercise. And others say that the wokeness of these big capitalist firms won't last or that it's probably not as influential and important as it appears. So there was a commentator in the Wall Street Journal saying that wokeness hadn't exactly captured the American business community. The problem isn't the American corporation, he said. The problem is a small but influential and unbearably sanctimonious group of leaders who've gone gaga over progressive politics. But that assessment overlooks the dramatic transformation of the ideological outlook that we see now all over the corporate world. Anybody who reads management publications like the Harvard Business Review can see that their content reflects all of the identity politics-inspired narratives that prevail in college campuses and, and now even in our public schools K-12. through When a writer for Forbes tells readers that woke capitalism is good for the profit margins, well, then I'm pretty sure that capitalism has undergone a massive rebranding exercise. And people in the mainstream media, well, they're not doubting that CEO activism has become the new normal. And because big business is going to support an organization like Black Lives Matter, many people of the public, you know, many consumers, many sports fans have become aware of this dramatic transformation of the ideology in corporate America. Capitalist firms not only compete with one another for a bigger share of the market, now they also compete to gain the maximum exposure for how woke they are, their woke credentials. And that was pretty clear last summer when every firm from Nike to Apple to Spotify to Peloton to you name them all pledged their support to Black Lives Matter. And then, of course, the U.S. presidential campaign in 2020, woke capitalism has become active now in the sphere of politics. Back in April of 2021, more than 120 CEOs and business leaders and lawyers gathered on April 10th for a Zoom meeting to discuss and organize a campaign to defeat Republican state voting laws. 
They talked about pulling their donations, refusing to move businesses or jobs to states that passed the Republicans' voting laws, and some of the speakers suggested that their intervention was critical to ensure the future of democracy. Oh, yeah. We're depending on capitalists uh, to undo capitalism? Not likely. This Zoom meeting of capitalist oligarchs almost immediately mobilized all of their corporate peers. The leaders of more than 300 of the most powerful corporations, joined by high-profile celebrities and members of the cultural elites, signed a statement that was published as a full-page ad in the New York Times. Where else? Full-page ad in The Gray Lady. Amazon, BlackRock, Google, just some of the people swearing their commitment to social justice. Just some of the woke capitalists. And suddenly, the CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world were acting as if they were running a political party instead of a business. In recent times, you know, prior to this, the capitalist class tended to adhere to like having this division between itself and the political class, you know, a division of labor. Capitalists were in the business of making money and not moralizing about how the public should behave and think. Now, many of them appear determined to invade political life in order to directly influence lawmaking and government. They're determined to ensure that it's their views rather than those of elected politicians and, of course, the people that prevail. And as recent events show, these firms even have the power to censor American presidents, to shut them down, and force state legislators to back off from certain policies. A woke corporate oligarchy is no friend of democracy. Not only has Twitter and Facebook banned Donald Trump, Amazon has also decided to ban socially conservative books. So why did the CEOs of some of the most well-known corporations become so directly involved in political campaigning? Why did they decide to start wielding their economic power to promote a whole bunch of these identitarian causes? It's amazing to me, the rise of the woke corporation. You know, in recent decades, the focus of the culture wars has been college campuses, universities, higher education was the ground on which identity politics could flourish and where a whole bunch of ideals that were challenging Western civilization and prevailing values, well, they could thrive on these campuses. And opponents of these developments persuaded themselves that this was all because higher education had been subverted by campus radicals. What a lot of us didn't understand, what many of us critics of cancel culture on campuses overlooked, was that the same thing was taking place in other places in public life. In particular, we were oblivious to developments within the private sector. It took three decades for the university to become dominated by what was once the counterculture, but which has now become the culture. But in less than a decade, business has gone the way of the academic. In his book, The Dictatorship of Woke Capitalism, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business, Stephen Sokup points out that this development has been a very long time coming. The transformation of Wall Street was no accident. It was the product of a long, careful process, a march through various other institutions, turning them on their heads until the titans of capitalism 
had been fully convinced that their surrender to the culture was not merely inevitable, but constituted the only morally legitimate path. But what Sokup's thesis misses is that the ascendancy of woke capitalism was driven by powerful cultural forces, rather than being an orchestrated march through the institutions. Pointing to the power of these cultural forces, Prescient American social commentator Daniel Bell highlighted back in the 1970s the fragile state of capitalism's cultural authority. He wrote a book called The Cultural Contradictions of Capitalism back in 1976, and it was a phenomenal analysis of the conflict between capitalist economic growth and the cultural hostility to it. He said then that the power of capitalism's hostile adversary culture literally shatters bourgeois culture to the point that almost no one is prepared to defend it. And he said that without any significant cultural support, capitalism lacked a moral justification of authority. And his insights were anticipated by political economists before that. Joseph Schumpeter in Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy back in 1942 explained that though its commitment to rationalization, calculation, and efficiency, capitalism undermines its own defenses because it creates a critical frame of mind which, after having destroyed the moral authority of so many other institutions, in the end, eats itself, turns against its own. Schumpeter claimed that the bourgeois Zay finds to his amazement that the rationalist attitude does not stop at the credentials of kings and popes, but goes on to attack private property and the whole scheme of bourgeois values. Schumpeter feared that this would destroy those loyalties and those habits of mind that are nevertheless essential. And once you've weakened traditional loyalties, capitalism doesn't have any intellectually compelling normative foundation. This happened with full force in the 1960s. I was there, I can attest to it, when estrangement emerged with the full force because capitalism's values were explicitly challenged by the counterculture movement. And from that point on, despite some periods of economic expansion and boom, capitalism was rarely able to assert its claim to moral authority with any kind of confidence. And since the late 1960s, it found it increasingly difficult to counter the appeal of its countercultural adversaries. The early traces of woke capitalism could be seen in the 1970s, which was, of course, an era that I'm all too familiar with that saw a historical compromise between the old bourgeois cultural values and those of what is often referred to as the new class. The main driving force behind this compromise were not groups of social activists, but influences that were internal to big businesses. In particular, many of the leaders of capitalist institutions had become defensive when confronted with criticisms of their activities. They became aware of the need to legitimate their activities and to win over public opinion. Big business responded to the attacks directed at it by embracing the narrative of social responsibility and promoting itself as an advocate of stakeholder capitalism. In this way, big business thought they could shed their image as indifferent to any cause or ideals that stood in the way of making a profit. 
and at the time, a vocal minority of capitalist entrepreneurs and economic liberals got worried. They said that rather than endowing capitalism with legitimacy, this doctrine of social responsibility would actually call into question, yeah, would actually bring it to the forefront, this business culture. And you heard Milton Friedman talk about that in the Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Its Profits essay, which was published in the New York Times, mind you, on uh, sometime in September back in 1970. And the target of his fury were capitalist entrepreneurs who declared that their concern was not merely profit, but also the promotion of desirable social ends. And these ends, of course, include providing employment, eliminating discrimination, avoiding pollution, and whatever else may be the catchwords of the contemporary crop of reformers. Milton Friedman warned that businessmen who talk this way are unwitting puppets of the intellectual forces that have been undermining the basis of a free society for the, well, I don't know, for I guess a few decades. He wrote that the doctrine of a socially responsible capitalism actually sought to neutralize the present climate of opinion with its widespread aversion to capitalism and hate of profits and the so-called soulless cooperation. Soulless, mind you. However, he regarded this as kind of short-sighted since it implicitly acknowledged the illegitimacy of the profit motive. And Friedman said that if it helps to strengthen the already too prevalent view that the pursuit of profits is wicked and immoral and must be curbed and controlled by external forces. Imagine, back in 1970, Milton Freeman could not imagine that the people he described as pontificating executives would come to dominate business culture. These advocates of economic liberalism underestimated the cultural power fueling socially responsible capitalism. And since the 1970s, critics of stakeholder capitalism have been marginalized, conspicuously marginalized in the world of business. And a lot of the MBAs right now who are coming out of schools or have been out of schools for the last decade are likely to have attended business schools where the ethos of socially responsible or ethical capitalism possesses a big, big authoritative status. And a lot of these business leaders are now not only politically active, but they're active in all of these cultural campaigns and identity politics and causes. And as one study pointed out, although corporations and CEOs have conventionally been associated with economic conservatism, CEO activism is almost always directed towards progressive political causes. And the variety of issues that recent CEO activism addresses is pretty indicative of this. For example, they focus on immigration, illegal immigration in particular, gun control, taking my guns away in particular, abortion, everybody had to get one, and racial and ethnic tolerance, LGBTQI rights, and climate change. So you see these CEOs are reluctant to explicitly identify with free market capitalist ideas because the business ideology has been radically transformed. And since the 1970s, it has been possible 
to identify three different phases in the genealogy of woke capitalism. And during these different phases, large corporations began to internalize a cultural script that promoted social responsibility, ethical capitalism, sustainability, diversity, you know, all the itties and isms. These values were actively promoted by consultants and trainers and advertisers and DEI. Uh, oh, it's amazing to me, all of the meetings that are being held right now for diversity. And, and, and I just, I can't take much more of this. So what they did was they cultivated a marketable corporate identity to run parallel with the development of identity politics. The three phases, that's three phases of woke capitalism. And although these different phases overlap, there is a clear distinction between the different phases of woke capitalism, really. First, there was the 1980s and the 1990s. And in that period, corporations became increasingly hospitable to particular, quote, progressive, end quote, ideas and policies and values. It was at this point that corporate mission statements began to highlight firms' professed commitment to environmentalism and sustainability. And companies also began to take racial and gender equality way more seriously. And it was through the medium of HR, human resources, that these values became integrated into corporate culture. That's right. The HR counselors pushed the corporate culture. Then in the decades that followed, corporations radically transformed their internal office structure. Relations at work became increasingly formalized and codes of behavior gradually limited the role of banter and office politics. It was at this point that codes of conduct about bullying and harassment proliferated. I could speak for myself that during those decades, we went from these sort of collegial attitudes among colleagues in the radio business where you could flirt with a colleague innocently. I mean, obviously, nobody was calling for the acceptance of uh, any kind of perversion or anyone pressuring a subordinate to you know, do something they didn't want to do. But people just bantered at work and we told jokes and we didn't get offended if men put up, or at least my female co colleagues, we didn't get offended if men put up a Sports Illustrated, uh, what do they call calendars? No, nor did they get offended when we put the best looking firefighters calendar up on the wall. But then things changed dramatically. Relations at work became increasingly formalized. And there were all these codes of behavior that limited the role of all that banter and all of that stuff. And instead, we had a lot of office politics. And it was at that point that the codes of conduct came in about bullying and harassment. And I got to tell you, I've never um, been harassed to the point where I felt I needed legal protection. Uh, anybody who takes a lot of guff at their workplace probably should learn how to stand up for themselves. But at the same time, the bullying aspect was infiltrating every aspect of our lives, 
Uh, we were being told our kids were being bullied. We were told politicians were being bullied. We were told that uh, large organizations and lobby groups like the NRA were bullying politicians. And I got to tell you, it took all of the sting out of the word bully. I don't think they understand what bully actually means. And at the same time, many corporations decided to protect the interests of different, quote, stakeholders. And at least at the level of rhetoric, there was a predictable shift and a perceptible, you could see this, the shift from shareholder to stakeholder capitalism. And then the third and final phase covers the past 10 to 15 years. And during this time, all these corporations began to internalize the outlook of identity politics. And gradually, more and more CEOs embraced these woke causes. And the most important development of the era was the rise in the political activism of corporations. Companies have always sought to influence the political process behind the scenes. But now, during these last 15 years, their political activity became self-consciously assertive and public. The past decade has brought with it a dramatic reversal in the United States in the attitudes of Republicans and Democrats toward corporate power. Polls show conservative support for business is diminishing, it's plunging. As the uh, Financial Times reports, the share of Republicans saying that they trust corporate America has fallen from 53% last October to 39% in May of 2021. Meanwhile, Democrats are now more likely to trust businesses. And this reflects not only the transformation of business culture, but also the transformation of business people, particularly the leading CEOs of the corporate world, people like Bill Gates of Microsoft and Tim Cook of Apple, Larry Fink of BlackRock and Bank of America's Brian Moynihan personify a new type of corporate executive. They're committed to redefining the purpose of a corporation away from serving shareholders to this diffuse notion of public duty. And these executives reflect the cultural attitudes that are promoted in higher education, in business schools, and even more importantly, in the media. The views of these so-called ethical capitalists were codified in August of 2019 when the CEOs of nearly 200 multinational corporations signed a statement pledging to lead their companies for the benefit of customers, employees, suppliers, and communities, in addition to shareholders. And that sentiment was echoed in the, quote, universal purpose of a company in the fourth industrial revolution, which was the manifesto of the World Economic Forum in 2020. So these woke CEOs actually revel in their status as cultural celebrities, and they delight in demonstrating a degree of disdain towards all of society's traditions. When you listen to a Silicon Valley entrepreneur or the guys involved with the new startups, they flaunt their commitment to being edgy and to breaking the taboos. You think about just the way they dressed. It's only lately that you would see someone like Mark Zuckerberg in a suit. The big deal was that he shows up in jeans with a t-shirt on whenever he wants to, and nobody can say anything because these are 
titans in the business world. And you see this all the time. It's highlighted by the public relations and the advertising industry, which encourages brands to wear their social justice commitments on their sleeves and project the image of a taboo breaker, right? Some critics claim that all this corporate virtue signaling about gay marriage or gun control or Black Lives Matter is just an exercise in opportunism and public relations. Recently, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who just stepped down as CEO of his biotech firm, Royvent Sciences in January, said in a New York Post op-ed that he was fed up with corporate America pretending to care about social justice to boost profits. And that is the argument of his new book, Woke Inc., Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. Hey, we've seen it. uh, We've experienced it. We have to hear about it over and over again from guys like LeBron James and from, uh, you know, actors and actresses who we really could care less what they think, but uh, we're forced to hear it. They are used as a way of catapulting this whole social justice movement to the front of everything we talk about. And a lot of CEOs taking the knee are just doing it because they're pragmatic and they're pretty opportunistic as well. But they are also the products of a cultural milieu that is hospitable to identity politics and hostile to traditional conservative and even classical liberal values. I mean, I remember when liberals wanted more freedom, wanted to preserve our rights, were way more libertarian than liberals are today. Now this liberal values have nothing to do with the classical liberal values. Instead, it's all about how woke you can be. And through their schools and university educations, a lot of these CEOs today have been socialized into the norms that underpin cancel culture. That's right. They're not merely scamming the social justice movement. They have become its fully paid up members. With a recent intake of a millennial workforce, woke capitalism has come of age. There are a ton of millennials working at these large corporations like Apple and Google and Facebook and Twitter, and they demand that businesses become safe spaces for their identities. And they also expect their companies to support the latest woke fads. And woke capitalism and its intervention in political life is a far greater direct threat to democracy than the workings of cancel culture on campuses. We thought it was scary to see speakers like my friend Ann Coulter or people like Ben Shapiro um, not being able to speak on campuses because of cancel culture and the pressure that was placed on the uh, administrations of these campuses. But think about this. Corporate power has a much bigger impact, a formidable impact on political institutions and on lawmakers. Corporations have the economic muscle to threaten people's livelihoods and to force communities into total submission. So curbing the power of these woke corporations is definitely turning out to be one of the biggest and yet one of the most important challenges facing those of us who are committed to the cause of democracy. I know a lot of critics 
of woke capitalism have invested their hopes in kind of mobilizing shareholder power against woke business leaders, and they show up at these stockholder shareholder meetings, and they, uh, you know, they wield their power against these CEOs. Uh, but that's a strategy that's never going to win. It's doomed to fail because many of the large investment funds, like BlackRock, which own the majority of shares, are also woke. People like you and I, who may own a slight bit of it through a 401k with a mutual fund or even direct stockholders, are tiny in comparison to these large investment funds, which are being run by the woke CEOs, just like the corporations. So no, uh, the way to counter woke capitalism is by taking it on in the open with a, a populist message, one that exposes the anti-democratic outlook of these oligarchs, these sanctimonious oligarchs. And you know, the only person who ever did that was one Donald J. Trump. He challenged them. He allowed them to do things to him, ban him from social media platforms, excoriate uh, his businesses, and refuse to do business with his businesses. Entire political classes took positions against him. For goodness sake, the man was impeached twice, and the second time, he wasn't even in office. So when you think about the power that can be wielded by cancel culture, you only have to think about the only person who ever tried to stand up against it and did a pretty darn good job at withstanding the slings and the arrows for just as long as he could. But the ball's in our court now, and he may come back or he may not. But if you saw evidence over this last two weeks of people still going to rallies to see a man who's no longer in the White House because they are fearful that they're losing the America they love, that this woke culture, this cancel culture has not just brainwashed an entire generation of their children, but it has also impacted the entire capitalist system. And if you're a free market capitalist, or you're an entrepreneur, or you're just a hardworking guy or gal who's trying to get ahead in the greatest country on earth, then you better get ready and you better start challenging these woke capitalists.